Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning, Candeo Church. Um, I'm thrilled to be uh, with you guys this morning to worship the Lord, and uh, I'm, I'm so excited to open up God's Word this morning with us and just hear what He has to say. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series that Jake kicked off last week called Encountering Jesus. Uh, and it's these stories of different people encountering who Jesus really is throughout the Gospel of Mark. So if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dakota Jackson. I have the privilege of serving on the community ministry team here. Um, and, and before we dive in, before we get started, I want to ask you a question. How do you handle or, or how do you deal with salespeople? Or, or marketing in general, for that matter, right? Because it's, it's all around us. All the time, we are inundated with marketing campaigns and slogans and, and salespeople coming up to us. Social media is full of it. These influencers trying to get you to do something or tell you this is the way to live. Or you go to John Deere Motors and there's going to be a car salesman who's going to try and get you to buy a specific car. Even Praise the Lord, they're over for a while. All the campaign ads, they're doing everything they can to market and pitch something to you. And normally, I think we respond in one of two ways. There's one of two categories. Either we kind of embrace those marketing things and we let them affect us, or we do everything we can to reject them and stand far off. Now, my wife works in the marketing industry, so I got to be careful here. And she falls in one of those camps, and I tend to fall in the other one. Just yesterday, we're watching TV, and this commercial comes on for Home Goods. And all of a sudden, these people are in Home Goods, like sliding through the store, dancing with lamps. There's like words coming on the screen, music's playing. It's a party. And she, the, the commercial gets over. She looks at me and goes, they captured the essence of what it is like when you just find the right thing at Home Goods. I'm like, I don't, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. That makes no sense to me. Somebody was dancing with a lamp. What? So I like to pride myself on being able to reject the, the sales tactics and, and weasel my way out of all those pitches. But the other day I was, I was pretty humbled. Daughter of a salesman is coming by our house. My wife taps me on the shoulder, says, you can have this one. So I go out. And next thing I know, we got new home internet in our house and a new home internet provider. <laughs> but it was a good deal, man. It wasn't the, the pitch that he had. It was, I, I, I would have had it anyway. I would have got it myself. It was convenient that he just came, or I tell myself that at least. We're all the time inundated with all of these marketing campaigns and these things. And really at their core, they're, they're getting it the same message. They're saying your life, if you have this lamp or this home internet or, or this car or me as your president, your life will be better. It's not what it could be. And so if you have this or if you get this, then it will be a little bit better. Well, this morning we're going to be seeing Jesus showing up and encountering a few different people, but he's not making a sales pitch or a marketing campaign, but an invitation. We're going to see him meeting Levi, the tax collector. We're going to see him meeting the tax collectors and the sinners, and we're going to see him encountering the Pharisees. And in each one of these, Jesus is not so much making some glamorous marketing campaign, 
that promises a better life. No, Jesus is looking at each and every one and saying, I am inviting you to a brand new life. Not a better life, a new one. So let's pray to this God who meets us, sees us, and invites us to this new life and how he encounters these people in the book of Mark. Lord Jesus, God, we we come before you as um, incredibly needy, incredibly broken people who are so desperately uh, in need of you, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet us here this morning, that through your word, God, you would show us the truth about our own hearts, Lord, the condition and the state of affairs that we find ourselves in, and the reality that you are the great Savior of the sick. Lord Jesus, would you do all that you do for your glory, Lord? Amen. So, we see in the text, verse 13 and 14 of Mark chapter 2, Jesus is walking beside the sea, the whole crowd is coming, and then this is his famous marketing campaign. He passes by Levi at his tax booth and says, follow me. Now, I don't think if Jesus wrote a marketing book, it would probably end up on the New York Times bestseller list because I think it would be on a sticky note. (laughs) Jesus' marketing and recruiting strategy is something like pray to the Lord, be led by the Spirit, and call people to follow me. And that's all it is. And, and, And the most brilliant business minds of our day could not begin to fathom such a radical and powerful marketing campaign as Jesus Christ. And it's three lines. He walks up, he retreats with the Lord. He walks up to people led by the Spirit and calls them to follow him. And it works. They do. Look at the response of Levi. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Levi takes these immediate and radical steps of obedience to follow this man who just walked by while he's doing his job and called him to follow him. I mean, how crazy would this be, right? You're working your job. You're, you're at a construction site doing your job, minding your own business. You're uh, cutting hair in a nail salon or in, in a hair salon. That'd be weird. Don't use scissors to cut nails. That would be a bad idea. You're cutting hair at a hair salon and this man just walks in, looks at your coworker, says, leave everything, come and follow me. And they just like take off their tool belt, drop their scissors and walk after this guy. That'd be wild. Like this scene is crazy. He's doing his day job and just leaves it all behind. But it's, it's much more crazy than that. We need to understand what tax collectors were in this society. So a tax collector is, is a Jewish person who is essentially employed by the Roman government to collect taxes on other Jewish people. And so they were seen by their fellow man as traitors and extortioners because they wouldn't just collect taxes for Rome, they would collect some extra taxes to put in their own back pocket. They would abuse their power in order to make themselves wealthy. They are high executives, wealthy, powerful people, but absolutely hated by their fellow man because of what they're doing. 
And Jesus is calling one of them to come and follow him. No, Levi doesn't belong. But it's even more than that because this tax collector in particular, his name is Levi. A Jew named Levi is named after the, the, the tribe of Levites. These high priestly people that Dalton was just talking about who were the holy ones who could enter in and, and make sacrifices to atone for the sins of Israel. He's named after them. Being a Jew was not just a cultural thing. It was a deeply religious thing for somebody named Levi. It was in his heritage, named after them. This isn't a one-to-one -one comparison, but imagine with me that there is a person born in the United States, given the name George Washington Christensen. <laughs> be a weird name in our day. But he has that name, and then he turns and becomes a tax collector, collects taxes from American Christians with a name like George Washington Christensen. And he collects so many taxes to make himself wealthy and then give all that money to a foreign country. It would be wild and weird, and I'm telling you, he wouldn't be a very popular figure. We would not like him very much at all. But Jesus looks at Levi, the tax collector, and says, you follow me. And his response is immediate and it is radical. Because unlike the fishermen, Levi's not coming back to this job. Jake last week talked about the call of the fishermen. And they leave behind their job to follow Jesus, absolutely. But there's always going to be more fish in the sea if it doesn't work out with Jesus. And that's not dating advice, by the way. That, that... They can leave behind their job and come back to it. Levi can't. He leaves his tax booth for good. He is immediately and radically obedient to the call of Christ on his life. And so for some of us this morning, I think we need to have this Levi kind of moment. There are things in your life that you have built up that have become the orienting center of everything that you do in your life that dictate how you live. And you know that to leave those behind would cost you so much in pursuit of following Jesus. That job that makes you so successful in the eyes of the world, but makes you a really poor husband and follower of Christ. Those grades that you've pursued your entire life that have literally dictated every second of every day for you, have become everything to you. That image that you give off of being a perfect mother or a perfect grandmother to the world around you. These things that we've let become so central to our lives that they take the place of Jesus. And what I want to tell you this morning is that nothing, absolutely nothing, is worth losing your relationship with Christ. Mark chapter 8 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? We need to leave behind everything to be radically obedient to the call of Christ on our lives. And what is this call exactly? This famous two-word slogan, follow me. Notice Jesus does not say, lead with me. He says, follow me. Now, I think we live in a, a culture and a society of always trying to, to lead and to lead well to get ahead, to, to take the right next steps, to climb the ladder, the, the five-year plans, the smart goals, wh whatever it is. 
And we live desiring to lead well, to lead ourselves well, to lead families well, to lead companies well. And those are good things. Like, don't get me wrong. But what we do when we we are so focused on that is we actually miss the beauty and the wonderful gift it is to follow sometimes. Jesus is calling us to follow him, not to lead alongside him. And we can see that as a demotion. It is actually such a gift. My brother uh, is a a really good athlete. He's two years older than me, phenomenal athlete, and he was an exceptional runner. Like as good a runner as you're thinking in your mind, yes, he was like that good of a runner. And I was not. Uh, He got those genes. I did not. I was a wrestler. Wrestlers are good at one thing. If you don't know, it's wrestling, nothing else. But I would run sometimes in order to get in shape for wrestling. Uh, And my brother was kind enough to help me from time to time with running. And so I, I, I needed to push myself. I needed to get that cardio up. And so I had these like certain times I was trying to hit, run a mile in this amount of time. He's way faster than me, but what he would do because he was so in tune with his own body, with his own ability to run, is that he could pace himself to the second. You needed a, a six minute and 42 second mile, boom. He could nail it on the head. And so he would run with me and he would set the pace for me. We'd be running around the track. And instead of getting consumed with, am I running fast enough or not fast enough? Do I have to like sprint the last lap or am I going too hard right now? All I would do is just follow him. He's running the exact pace that I need to run and I can just set my eyes right on the back of his head and just keep on running. Church, this is the gift that it is to follow Jesus. He knows how to run this race of life down to a T and we get the privilege not of leading with him, but of following after him as he runs it to perfection. He's inviting us to come and to follow him. So that's the call he gives to Levi. But then we see this encounter that he has with the tax collectors and sinners. Look at verse 15. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. Before I get to this real quick, I want to jump back and and say, I'm not trying to kill our aspiration for leading well and and striving for good things. I just want us to know for sure that the greatest aspiration you could ever have in your entire life is following Jesus wherever, whenever, and however he calls you to. That's the greatest life you could ever live. Not leading a Fortune 500 company or even leading your family well. It is being obedient to the call of Christ on your life and following him. And so that Jesus meets these sinners, these tax collectors. Uh, Jesus was given the nickname by the Pharisees, the friend of sinners, which is an interesting title, especially for somebody who is God. But what we see in this moment is that Jesus, the scene changes, he's reclining at a table in Levi's house. Many commentators think that this is Levi's kind of goodbye party. You know, he's, he's leaving behind his tax collector life. He's following after Jesus. And this is the final hurrah that he gives to all of his friends and all of these followers of Jesus. And it says Jesus is reclining at the table with tax collectors and sinners. And he's eating with them. Jesus enters into the mess 
of people's lives. He is not afraid of it. Dalton talked this morning about how God is literally here. His presence is with us. And for some of you in the room, you might hear that and you think, I have no business being here. I have no business being in the same room as God. And granted, that's true, but I need to tell you that Jesus sees you in your mess and he doesn't want to be in the same room with you. He wants to be at the same table with you. He wants to eat with you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to live life with you. He gets near to the messy and the broken and the outcasts of society, right? These terms, tax collectors and sinners, I already told you, tax collectors, not popular people. So Jewish audiences would read this and say, those people over there are other people and you should have no dealings with them. But Jesus says, those are the people that I wanna eat with. I wanna sit around a table with. It says he was reclining at the table with them. Now, that is talking about how physically in that day, how you would eat, wouldn't be sitting in a chair. You'd kind of lean back and recline and eat at a short table. But you don't get a nickname, friend of sinners, by just eating and then leaving. He was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He was chilling. He was kicking it. He was watching the football game and eating some good food with these people, entering into the real life mess that they would have. That's the God that we serve who has come so near and close to us that he would want to dwell and eat and hang out with people like us, messed up, outcast tax collectors and sinners. I think in my own life, I can get so caught up in the agenda and so caught up in, in doing the next thing that I can totally miss the people that are right in front of me. Sometimes the mess of life that people have. I had a friend in Des Moines when I worked for a church there. Uh, his name is Boop. He's an amazing, amazing man. I worked with him. And um, Boop had this, this thing where he was almost always late, all the time. So you just like plan, you'd be like, all right, we'll tell Boop it starts 10 minutes earlier than we tell everybody else. And, and he'll show up about on time. And I'd ask him about it, be like, Boop, what are you doing? Like, why are you late? And he's like, oh, I was just, I was just chilling. I was just hanging out with these people or, or that person. He wasn't always the most forthcoming with his information. So eventually I started to dig a little bit. Like, no, really, what are you doing? Because I was getting frustrated. Dude, we got places to be. We got things to do. Come on. And all of a sudden he starts to explain to me most of the time, most of the time, but most of the time why he was late. It's because he was walking through something really hard with somebody. He was listening well to somebody. He was giving somebody a ride who needed it. He was pulled over on the side of the road talking to somebody. He was so focused on loving people well that yeah, it made him late every once in a while. And I was so focused on being on time that it made me miss the people that were right in front of me. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the greatest commandment Jesus gives is not to be on time. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. Boop was doing the far more godly thing because we see here Jesus is far more concerned about the people that he is around and entering into their life than he is about an agenda and doing the next thing on his list. 
So we see Jesus encounter Levi. We see Jesus encounter these tax collectors and these sinners eat with them, relax with them. And now we'll see him encounter the Pharisees. Look at verse 16. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So the Pharisees are sitting off to the side. They see this scene unfolding and they pull his disciples over and say, essentially, hey, why is he eating with them? This is the worst kind of lunchroom politics, right? Think Mean Girls and Regina George and her crew. We're over here. Y'all are over there. We are the important people. You are the others, the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus, why would you, a religious leader, a rabbi, eat with those people? Don't you know you should come over here and wear pink on Wednesdays? This is where you should be, not with those people over there. Do you know what the term Pharisee means? This blew my mind when I I found this out last week. The term Pharisee literally means the separated ones. Their entire identity as a Pharisee is to be separate from everybody else. It is in their name, it is who they are to be away from, to be holy, while you unholy people can be over there. Do you know what the term, the name that we give Jesus around Christmas is? Emmanuel, God with us. Pharisees, by their nature and in their name, are separated from and distant from everybody else. And Jesus Christ, by his nature and by his name, is Emmanuel. God, come near to us, sinners and tax collectors and messy, messed up people. Now, it's really easy for us to look at the Pharisees and and, uh, shame on them, right? To judge them. But it's worth us evaluating our own hearts and reminding ourselves of the prejudice that exists in my heart. No, I may not have such clear distinctions in my own life, but aren't there people that we look at and see them as other, different than, outcast? People that don't look like me, people that don't think like me, people that don't have the same experiences or perspectives or political agendas as I do, those people over there. Lord, help the prejudice that exists in our own hearts because it is there. And the Pharisees are just highlighting the the real state of the human condition that we can so quickly and so often look at those people while we are these people. And that even makes its way into the church. These are the religious leaders. Church, I think sometimes we can view this gathering of people far more like going to work than going to the hospital. We we view it like going to work. You get dressed up, we're going to come. Everybody do your thing but at the end of the day, kind of keep to your mess to yourself. Do you know who's not concerned about their mess? People in the emergency room. They're screaming in pain. They are urgently knocking on the door, trying to get in. And that's what this is, church. We are a gathering of patients in the hospital of Jesus Christ. 
desperate, broken, beaten up, forgotten about, left out to, for dead people who are gathered together all to find hope and peace and restoration and unity where? In his name. You see, Jesus responds to the Pharisees. This is crazy. He says to them, it's not those who are well that need a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He's looking at the Pharisees and saying, if you're so righteous, I have, you have no need for me. If you are righteous within yourself, then you don't need a savior because you're your own savior. Jesus is actually saying, I didn't come for you because you don't need me if, if you are actually righteous within yourself. But what the Pharisees misunderstand and what we can be so prone to misunderstand is that we are not righteous. In fact, we are the sinners and the tax collectors. We are the sick and the broken. And we are coming to him. This is the point that I really want to get at this morning. I think it's really easy Maybe for you, you're walking in and you, you feel like a sinner and you feel like an outcast and you feel like one who is, who is far off. I'm telling you, Jesus draws near to you, but maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And when you look at a text like this, it's much easier for you to associate not with either category. Well, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not self-righteous, but I mean, I'm no tax collector, right? I'm no sinner, And we can somehow find our way in the middle, forgetting the desperate state of our souls. That we are not just a little bit sick with the common cold. We are terminally ill with the disease of sin that is wrecking our entire lives apart from God. We are hopeless. We are helpless. We are absolutely at the the end We cannot do anything righteous or good apart from the Lord. We are tax collectors and sinners. And so for a moment, if you would, let me tell you just how sick we are. Let me remind you how desperately we need Jesus. I'm going to run through our sickness symptoms. First, our bodies are broken. Now, some of you woke up this morning and you're like, I know, (laughs) I know. I broke this leg seven years ago. I wake up every morning and it goes pop, pop every day. And it will the rest of my life to remind me time and again that I am under the curse of death. Ever since Adam and Eve took the bite of that forbidden fruit, we have been under the curse of death and our physical bodies are breaking down. Every day and every year, they break down a little bit more and a little bit more. I know some of you college students are like, I don't know about that. Trust me. Our bodies are so broken. Symptom number one. Symptom number two, our souls are sick. Our souls are so sick with sin. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things. And he says this, it is desperately sick. What a term. It is desperately sick. Our own hearts 
are so sick with sin. Ezekiel says that our hearts have have turned into a heart of stone, no longer a heart of flesh, which is good for nothing. Sin has infiltrated even our core, who we are, our souls and our hearts, and it affects everything that we do and all that we are. This disease is ravaging our entire bodies and it doesn't stop there. Our minds, symptom number three, our minds are a mess. How many times have you had a thought that you didn't even want to have, but you couldn't help but have? How many times has your mind drifted and wandered How many times is it believed a lie rather than believing the thing you know to be true? How many times do our inner lawyers, right, that that stand in defense of our bad decisions, our inner lawyers come in and justify certain things. They justify telling that lie that just makes us look a little bit better. Or, or, Or they defend having just one more drink, even though we know we've had enough or excusing running to a website to find sexual gratification instead of to the person that we know and love. Our minds are a mess warped by the reality of sin. We are desperately ill. And as if that weren't enough, symptom number four four is that this illness, this terminal illness that we have that is killing us is in our blood. It is in our DNA. We are by nature children of wrath, born opposed to God. We cannot help it. And worse than that, we cannot cure it. Why do I tell you this? Because if we forget how sick we are, then we won't go go to the doctor who can heal us. We have to remember how desperate our situation is in order for us to turn and actually move towards the person who is offering a saving brand new life. We have to know our sickness so that we will turn to our savior. Let me tell you about him. He addresses every single one of our symptoms. First and foremost, our bodies are broken. So what did he do? He broke his body for us. Church, Jesus Christ endured the pain of death and the wrath of God poured out on his body, still bearing the marks to this day in his body as a reminder that he broke his body so that one day we might have a perfect, glorified, wonderful, resurrected body purchased by his death and guaranteed by his resurrection. Our bodies are broken, so he broke his body for us. Our souls are sick with sin, so what did he do? He became sin for us. The Bible says that on the cross, Jesus became sin. God himself became the thing that he hates. Why? So that all of our sickness and all of our sin could no longer be poured on us, no longer be wrapped on our shoulders, but instead is hanging on a cross, dead and conquered and finished with forever. Jesus Christ became sin for you and for me. Number three, our minds are a mess. So what does he do? He calls us in Romans 12. 
be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to guard our minds and protect us and kill that inner lawyer inside of us so that our minds would be renewed day in and day out more and more into the mind of Christ. And still more, our blood runs with this sickness terminally killing us of sin. And what does he do? But he pours out his perfect, precious blood to purchase you and me. Church, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Every symptom of sickness, of this wicked thing called sin that is killing our bodies, he came with, he dealt with, and he finished forever so that he would offer to each and every one of us a cure that we could find nowhere else but the finished work of Jesus. That's why he looks at these people and said, it is not those who are well that need a doctor, but the sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. We need to know our needs so that we will turn to our good doctor. And as if that weren't enough, he doesn't stop with just the cure. He, start, he, he continues on with the care. His, his doctor's office never closed. No holidays, no snow days, no rest days, no off days. Jesus is always open for business so that we, his patients, can come to him time and again in prayer. And his prescription is always right. He prescribes exactly what we need for exactly what we're suffering with. For those who feel the shackles and chained by sin in your life, he prescribes freedom. For those who feel abandoned and outcast by the world, he prescribes his very presence. And for those who are grieving and mourning loss, he prescribes the care that only he can give to you. The sympathy that only he can share with you. His doctor's office is always open. His prescription is always right. Jesus is our amazing, wonderful doctor who has come to save us sinners every day. And he's calling us to follow him, to turn from everything else and to move towards Jesus who is not making you a sales pitch this morning for a better life. He is inviting you to have a brand new life in him. What a gift. So I want to end this morning by looking back at Levi. Really quick. Levi, this tax collector hated by his own people, named for the tribe of Israel, the priestly tribe, turning away from his own family, and now a follower of Jesus. If you don't know, Levi also goes by another name in scripture. And that name is Matthew, meaning that he wrote the gospel of Matthew, which many call the gospel to the Jews. Jesus called this man, who was hated and rejected by his own people, 
He followed Jesus for three years, was, became an apostle of the early church, and then goes on to write a gospel that we still read to this day. And that gospel is to reach the Jewish people who he rejected and who reject him. You have no idea what God can do with your life. Levi is the least likely person to write that gospel. It could have been anybody else, but Jesus chose him. And so in this invitation that Jesus makes to each and every one of us, you have no idea what God can do with your life the impact that he can have through you that can last for generation after generation after generation. But just recognize that the, the starting point, the very first step is to do exactly what Levi did, to get up and follow him. Let him take care of the rest. Let him lead you where he would. Let him heal you of this sickness and let God do more with your life than you ever could on your own. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are indeed desperately sick apart from you. Tax collectors and sinners with no hope, with no cure, terminally ill. But Jesus, you have come near. You are indeed Emmanuel. You have come to live and to dwell with us. You have come to care for our souls. You have come to shepherd us. So Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room that today and every day, we would die to ourselves. Remember the sickness that we have running through our blood and what you have done to purchase our freedom how you've poured out your blood so that we might be redeemed. God, we need to be reminded of that every single day so that we will turn to you and thank you and praise you once again because you are so worthy. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.